The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, Episode 30. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter, a.k.a. Father Fett, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. Today we're discussing Chapter 5 of Star Wars The Mandalorian, titled The Gunslinger. And joining me on the panel today are Angela Cialana. Hello. Hello there. Second up, we have Mike Creevy. Hey, Mike. Hey, Father. How's it going? Very well. And third today, we have Thomas Sanherjo. Hey, Thomas. Hi. Good to be back. Good to have you. Um, Andrew Hermes is unfortunately not able to join us tonight, so it's just the four of us. And today we're discussing all things The Mandalorian, Episode 5, entitled The Gunslinger. And Disney's simple summary of the episode is this. Uh, The Mandalorian helps a rookie bounty hunter who is in over his head. And so after watching this episode, um, I I read a lot of people online kind of debating back and forth whether or not this is just uh, a filler episode or a fan service video or fan service episode which it sort of has the feel of both. I personally rather enjoyed it. Uh, when, when I first started watching it, I was watching it with a friend of mine. And the, the moment that Moss Eisley was uh, implied, I, I sort of got all excited because it was like, okay, we're finally going back to a place that I know. And what I didn't realize was quite how many random references that I was able to to spot. So I actually started just a running tally of the random <laughs> references that I noticed. Nice. Um, and so we can kind of get into that as we go. So I I rather enjoyed it. I know a lot of people are are not necessarily in the same boat as that. They they kind of felt it was too much fan service or um you know not enough plot moving forward or or whatever have you. Uh so what do you guys think of of this episode of The Mandalorian? Um, I was surprised that people online, <laughs> quote unquote, uh, didn't like it because I had fun with it. Like you said, Father, when I heard Moss Eisley, I jumped to the edge of my seat and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so um, and plus just the way it opened with a dogfight in space. I mean, come on. You know, that is classic <laughs> Star Wars. So I had fun with this, definitely, all the little references. And I trust in Star Wars and in Dave Filoni that everything will eventually come together and we'll see what they were doing with all these crazy little adventures. Yeah, I, th- I think my I had the same reaction you did, too. You know, the dogfight was great. I love the the whole little like that's my line thing. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly. I didn't go back and check, but I'm I think that's the first or one of the first things, not the first thing that the Mandalorian actually said was mm-hmm. when he said that, you know, I can bring in hot or I can bring in cold. You know, so that was fun. And then, of course, you know, um, I wasn't expecting Tatooine. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking well, we'll get more into it later, obviously. But I think overall, like there's certain things I, I 
I don't know what specifically I would have liked better, but like at first part of me thought that they kind of underused it, you know, in terms of like what they could have done with a going back to Tatooine opportunity. But, you know, like Angela was saying too, you know, I, I always hold out hope for like, there's more to it. You know what I mean? Like there's, especially with, with some of the twists, you know, near the end of the episode and stuff too, like, I don't think we have the whole picture yet, so I'm not going to judge it or anything based on that. It was a lot of fun. And I think uh, we'll get into it a little bit more, but uh, just the whole, it flipped expectations. So the Tusken Raiders mm-hmm. was a huge one that it just, it added depth mm-hmm. to them. I that. That was yeah. so yes. great. Um, <laughs> so, so we'll get that, get to that in a little bit, but yeah, it, it took a familiar place and it just kind of flipped it on its head a little bit and lets you delve deeper into it. Thomas, what do you think? I, I liked it. Um, I think um, I'm, I'm liking watching these spaghetti Western uh uh, rehashes in the Star Wars universe. That's just, it, it's a great way to do this. It's really good for the character. It's really good for uh, like the way the stories play out. Um, it, Tatooine is, is like, is a well-visited planet for being so out of the way, you know, it, it, it just seems to right. keep coming up. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I, I really like, I think it, I think it was fantastic. I, the, the space battles always bother me in Star Wars because they're, um, you know, they're science fantasy instead of anywhere close to science fiction. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting here watching this space battle. And I'm going, yeah, thrusters work different in space. That's not how <laughs> this battle would have gone down. <laughs> what are we doing? But, you know, it's, it's always kind of the way it is with, uh, with Star Wars. And so they're fun and it's fun to watch. And uh, they, they bought it because, you know, you're able to spend disbelief and really watch what's going on there while they're having it. Uh, I thought the uh, the babysitting uh, baby Yoda was a fantastic part of this episode too. That was a <laughs> that was a fun and unexpected kind of uh, uh, sidetrack yeah. there. Yeah, not something I would have expected from from uh, the the character. Um, so just a few random points uh, before we jump into the recap. Uh, this episode was written and directed by Dave Filoni, um, so that was that was pretty cool. It's also, um, from as far as I can tell, it's the first time we've actually gone to a place that we've already seen somewhere in the Star Wars canon, at least within the, the Star Wars movies, uh, for sure. Um, it, it's uh, uh, Ming-Na Wen's uh, introduction as the, the bounty in this episode, and um, I don't know her very well, but she is very active in uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I think she did the voice of Mulan back in the cartoon, and she's doing yes. the the live action uh, remake of that as well. So she's she's a pretty pretty big actress in in all of this as well. And so we've already kind of mentioned that the the episode starts with this dogfight uh, in space uh, with the, the, a bounty hunter who's attempting to retrieve the child from from Mando, and we have the the iconic "I can bring you in warm, I can bring you in cold" line, uh, which was great when the Mandalorian calls him out, like, "Yeah, that's my line." Um, I, I don't know if this was an explicit reference, but one of my random references there was when he hits the brakes on the thrusters and, and the other bounty hunter shoots over him. I had visions of, uh, the speeder bikes on Endor in episode Mm -hmm. six with Luke as he is Mm -hmm. being chased by the stormtroopers and he hits the brakes and, and does more or less the same thing in his, uh, evasion of the, the stormtroopers. Don't know if that was an explicit reference by Dave Filoni or not, but that was something that I, I picked up. Um, and then we hear that he's, well, he's obviously in need of fuel and repair and uh, heads to the nearest planet, which just happens to be Tatooine and uh, the Moss Eisley spaceport. And I don't know about you guys, but I almost was certain that he they were going to direct him to land in Docking Bay 94. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But he did. But no, it was 35. And you see the 35 in, scrawled in the wall. So if mm-hmm. anybody didn't catch that in the original series, the 35 <laughs> is very prominent on the wall of the docking bay there. <laughs> I couldn't help but wonder if 35 had some kind of, was some kind of reference that we were supposed to pick up on, but I just couldn't think of anything. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm 35, but other than that, <laughs> I don't think they were doing that. It was meant for you. It was for yeah. you. <laughs> it was just for me. It was special. It was just for you. I feel like we could go down the rabbit hole of, of <laughs> all sorts of conspiracy theories and everything with that, but... Uh, uh, but he lands in that in that docking boy docking bay, and uh, we immediately have an encounter between Mando and the pit droids. And I have, I'm sure you guys recognize them too. They're they're the pit droids from Episode One. And I don't know. I yeah. assume that they're the same pit droids uh, that kind of act like Three Stooges. But uh, mm-hmm. it was it was fun to see them reprise their role, and and Mando is is very distrustful of them. And that's where we meet uh, uh, Paley, Pelly, Pelly Motto. I think is it mm-hmm. Pelly, yeah. Pelly Motto, uh, the the mechanic. And I found that she was a she was quite an interesting character. I think uh, she she is one that you meet and you immediately assume like she's this rough and gruff kind of person, and she's kind of only in it for for the next credit to come her way. And and it was really cool to see her progression through the episode as you kind of get to see her and she gets to to babysit. Baby Yoda, more or less. Yeah, something yeah. about her that um, she she said was, uh, "I know, I know, no droids." So to me, that signaled that she had obviously worked with him before. So then I figured he must have come at least once, other you know, previously to Tatooine. Yeah, she didn't seem overly familiar with him in a way, right? Hmm. Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize till uh, I was just looking up before the show the um, tonight. I mean that uh, t- uh, Amy Sedaris and uh, the hair threw me off because it just it was a different <laughs> hairstyle. But like I, I remember her from back in the day, like the uh, Strangers with a Candy show. Like she was so hilarious on that, and she's been yeah. in things over the years. She was the uh, the secretary and elf. Mm-hmm. If you guys remember that oh, movie, yeah. mm-hmm. so she, yeah. James Con secretary and that. So she's always she's just been a really funny character, and I totally didn't place her till till after i had uh checked imdb tonight so that that was pretty funny good casting <laughs> yeah well and it pulled in a lot of like a, a lot of the 80s feel like i don't know i don't know what it was about <laughs> yeah. like her character but it was like this really 80s thing it was yeah. the hair jumpsuit and then the, like and the, the way hair. she was at, yeah the jumpsuit and the hair and everything it was it was great it really fit uh angela to go back to your point briefly um obviously mando has been here before unless tuscan raiders exist on other planets because he <laughs> knew right the sign language to communicate mm. with them, which, which implies that he has met them before. So yeah, um, surely he's been there. Um, so he lands, he negotiates with, uh, with, with Pelly. And it was interesting because at that point we got kind of the, the, the scene of the Moss Eisley spaceport or not the spaceport, but the, the city and how, bleak and dead it kind of was compared to episode four and the the stormtrooper helmets on the on the spikes and and so i'm it's i'm wondering what what kind of happened in the last five to however many years it's been um and obviously the the empire is not well liked there well i think the last time we saw it was just you know the 
you know, not to make any comments on it, but the special edition mm-hmm. at the very end when they added some of those, like to kind of expand the reaction mm-hmm. across the galaxy. And there was that brief little shot of either, I think it was Moss Eisley, Moss Eisley or Moss Espa and just everyone cheering and stuff. But this was cool because this is like the furthest ahead, you know, in the timeline that we've seen, um, seen Tatooine, which is neat. Well, and you bring up the special editions because I think there's a lot of references to the special editions within this episode as well. Because of, of even just the, the bustling nature of Moss Eisley was added on in the special edition. Mm-hmm. I think speeder bikes were added with the special edition in the mm. in this Moss Eisley area. But also um, the stormtrooper riding the dewback, I think, was an addition right. for the special yes. edition, which yep. is very clearly referenced uh, with the dewback in this episode. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of callbacks all the way around. Um. The next scene uh, brings us back to the the spaceport and Peli, and uh, she is playing what I assume to be Sabak with the pit droids. Yeah. Yes, yeah, she was. Those I are the Sabak cards. Those are Sabak. I would like to see more Sabak played, like because I want to know. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know, I know there's official rules and everything, but I want to see how it like plays out in the actual universe. <laughs> Did you guys notice that the pit droids were cheating? Yeah, yes. they were looking, they were, they were switching one, cards, right? One of them, yeah, was handing the other card, like, un, not under the table, but low enough that Peli couldn't see. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I, that was that was cute. Um, and Baby Yoda is within the, the, the ship and makes uh, a shrieking noise, and we are then introduced to the encounter between Peli and, and Baby Yoda, which was... Which Why was, was he shrieking? <sighs> Maybe what, he was, was that noise? <laughs> was it the was it the same type of thing that Obi Wan did to scare away the um the raiders? The Tusken Raiders in the first one. It did yeah. sound a little bit like the crate dragon, and and yeah. so this is this is my thing. I was I was I was trying to think about this, and I was like, why do babies make noise? And babies make noise because they're hungry, they're tired, or they have a dirty diaper. But this and, is um, a weird baby, Thomas. Yeah, I know, but still, I, it got me thinking about the Mandalorian changing the baby's diapers, you know? Like, who's changing baby Yoda's diapers? Yeah, it hasn't happened for weeks, as far as we know, or months. Uh, so, you know, that's, I don't know, that's that's the sidetrack it sent me off on. Like, why is he making that noise? What is going on? Well, and that's the, back to episode one. So far, the only reference we've ever had, as far as I know in Star Wars, to any bathroom stuff is that back tube thing. From the oh, first episode yeah. of this show. <laughs> so right. not even yeah. baby Yoda. There you go. No diapers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Peli is is concerned, notably, and uh picks up baby Yoda and decides to to care for him for an extra fee, of course. And and I and I really enjoyed watching her eh, change because of that encounter. Mm-hmm. Like again, mm-hmm. from from the moment you meet her, you just assume a gruff and tough mechanic. And the way that she and it interacts with baby Yoda is so motherly and caring and comical when baby Yoda's sleeping and she's sleeping at the same time. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, I'm yeah. awake. I'm awake. <laughs> oh. uh, it's, it, but it's, it's so funny because like everybody's, I don't know how they did it, man, but this thing is the cutest thing ever. And it really, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it has become the baby Yoda show, right? It, yeah. And everybody's talking about it. And then this is the episode where there's the least baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And on a completely random side note, I'm pretty sure the the shop at at Disney is producing the the plush of Baby Yoda now, but it's not coming until mm. April of 2020 or something. Mm. So, okay. so unfortunately, and, not a Christmas uh, stocking stuffer this year. But and and another random thing before I forget, because I will, it doesn't relate directly to the episode. But there's so many memes, of course, and my favorite so far is the the scene where he's sitting, he's up on the dashboard, and he keeps hitting the buttons from the last episode. And they keep editing it every time he hits the buttons. It plays bits and pieces of Toto's song Africa. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> and the Mandalorian keeps switching off, and he's just like flipping it. And the ship shakes. I'll, I'll send you the link. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> so the next scene that we have is one of the most iconic uh, places in all of Star Wars. We have the the infamous cantina from the Mos Eisley uh, city, and very clearly the same the same cantina that. Luke and um, Ben Kenobi walk into to find Han and uh, Chewie to to set up passage in Episode Four, but it was quite inverted from from before. Uh, we mm-hmm. have in Episode Four it was quite packed, and there was the the Bith band playing, and and when Mando enters into the cantina, it seems to be fairly quiet, and the the noticeable change is that in Episode Four, the owners were very anti droid. And in the cantina now, the droids are actually the ones running uh, the cantina, which is an interesting switch up there. We are then introduced to Toro Calican, uh, sitting in probably the same booth that Han Solo was sitting in uh, when he uh, shot Greedo. And he obviously was was a Han Solo type of character, this cocky, arrogant, uh, you know, young, young guy. you know he's he's a bounty hunter and he's sort of just proposing himself as as in the know and in fact he's he lies to to Mando initially about his um whether or not he's in the bounty hunter guild he implies mm-hmm. that he is when right. Mando kind of questions uh his knowledge of of Fennec Shand the the bounty that he's hunting and he obviously doesn't realize that he is in completely over his head and he also seems to have uh, plenty of his own means too. That's the other thing that's yeah. really interesting about this character because you don't see many people in Star Wars that that have a lot of money, and he's flashing it. You know, so that's that's a, a twist on the normal character type there. He overhears Mando talking about how Mando needs some some money and offers him the the job to help him with hunting down the bounty of of Fennec Shand. And the reason that that. Toro is after this bounty is because he he knows that if he can get this bounty of Fennec Shand, Fennec Shand, that that is his ticket into the Bounty Hunter Guild. And Mando initially refuses to to help him and uh, then decides, after all, to to help him. Um, he they they go back to the ship. He tells uh, Toro to meet him back at his ship in, in a half an hour. And that's where Mando panics because he can't find baby yoda <laughs> and uh we <laughs> we have baby yoda and uh and Pelly sleeping together and they both wake up and she runs out there and Toro, him. <laughs> w- yeah, yeah yeah uh toro then brings the the couple speeder bikes that mando asks and we have an encounter with the, the three of them that i realized and that's when he oh he he makes reference to um like this this ain't Corellia. He yeah. says that yep. he's like, yeah. What do you think of these speeders? Because well, the Saint Corellia. So 
it made me wonder um, if he's from Corellia. I mean, it was such a Han Solo connection because Han Solo is from Corellia, <laughs> right? So I just, it made me curious about him. It you could know, be wh- that. whether he was from there or whatever, or if it was just Corellia is really famous for, I don't know, speeders or. Right. <laughs> or Corella might just be a, a, a planet that has more more rich people, more yeah, wealthy. Fa- fancier yeah. things. And mm-hmm. on Tatooine, this is kind of all you get. But yeah, the Corellia reference was one that I, I jotted down as well. That uh, definitely, again, yeah, a Han Solo, Han, Han Solo connection there. Um, but also it was interesting there. And I didn't I didn't realize until after I watched the the whole episode and kind of went back to it was was Toro does see baby Yoda in that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, he I notices him. Yeah, yeah. And and I and I initially after as I was watching the episode, I, I didn't make the connection that he would have recognized that the child that uh that Fennec was talking about was the same one that he saw already. Mm-hmm. And that was that helped kind of clear in my mind why he was so willing to believe Fennec that Manda was the Mandalorian that she was referring to with the with the child. Oh, one other cool thing in that interaction is before they leave, he kind of he doesn't have a hat to tip, but he just acknowledges Toro, acknowledges Pelly and says, ma'am. And I thought that was so <laughs> Western, like right yeah, before yep. they ride off on the horses. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Very much so. That's it's got such a great feel to it where it really does follow this very Western pattern. And and some of the scenes are even modeled directly off of the movies that they're referencing. So it's really good. Well, and the um uh, and when they write off, you know, and the little it's only a few seconds, but that fun little like little race, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I just laugh because I mean that's so Lucas. I mean, you know, American graffiti, all the Star Wars movies, his yeah. his whole fascination, his whole life with racing. Uh, he was in a terrible uh, car wreck, you know, as, as a young man as well, and was lucky to get out of it alive. But he, he always had something like that in all of his movies. So that was just kind of cool to have that in there. Yeah. The music was really great during that part, too. Now, I have to ask, though, did it remind anybody else of the movie Easy Riders? It was a biker thing, kind of. It's <laughs> a biker thing, yeah. just like popped to the front i was like oh it's more clint eastwood just in a different way <laughs> well and mando really had like um you know toro was like kind of like sitting up on it but like mando's kind of like leaning back like the um like back. the chopper kind of thing yeah <laughs> like really really selling that that the, the posture was pretty funny uh so they they come across a um come across a bantha they they kind of they kind of stop and and over kind of a, a ledge they can they can see a, a bantha kind of off in the distance and uh and Toro has his binox out and he's he's looking at him and they, he can see a couple Tuscan Raiders which again I I not noted this down that that's a, almost exactly what happens in in episode 4 between when Luke has the same sort of experience um we even have a similar jump scare kind of thing happen so instead of jumping right. in front of the the binox uh they're they're just there and this is where the whole expectation of of who the Tuscan Raiders are is completely flipped on flipped on its head, because I think so far in the movies at least we have only encountered Tuscan Raiders as a vicious um, sort of species. They're the ones who mm-hmm. um, they're the sand people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They they captured Shmi in in episode mm-hmm. two and tortured her and. 
Um, Shoot at all the pod racers. Yeah. A, a very antagonistic relationship with Obi-Wan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so it was, it was really fascinating to see a completely different side of them. And, and Mando just using sign language of all things to communicate with them and negotiate passage uh, through their land. Um, and of course, they 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 view themselves as the original natives to to Tatooine and and all the other people as the outsiders, which I wouldn't be surprised if the Tusken Raiders were there very much first before all the the mm-hmm. the people came in. So I was expecting a fight at that point, and uh, the fact that there was this successful negotiation uh, was yeah just completely surprising to me. Someone else had pointed out online as I was kind of reading through things is is they were pointing out the growth that Mando has done because in episode two, mm. he doesn't want to negotiate with the Jawas at all. He just wants to, to you know, kill and disintegrate and get his parts back. But here he's he's viewing it as as an, an opportunity to, to negotiate and to not have to resort to, to taking him out with disintegration to, to get what he needs. Well, and I don't think he had his rifle with him this whole episode, right? Yeah, I didn't see it. Yeah, it was so maybe it's like recharging it was, or something. <laughs> yeah, that's I was I was wondering what happened. Well, he has he uses bullets. I don't know if you've noticed this, but he has to actually mm. reload that thing. He has to reload it each time. So he might be out. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure what was going on with it there. But you would think this would be a great episode for him to have it. But then again, you know, it's like the equalizer. You can't have him have mm-hmm. the long arm too against <laughs> the other person with the long arm. So it put him too much on equal footing with with Fennec. Right. Um, so they successfully negotiate passage through the, the Tusken Raider lands, and they that's where then they encounter this this dewback with the rider being dragged behind it. And Mando goes to check it out, realizes that the person being dragged is not Benek the Bounty, but it's another another bounty hunter. And very, it's a trap. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's a trap. <laughs> that was, it was so funny because my, my two-year-old got it. My two-year-old was watching it and he's been fine <laughs> with like the whole thing. No problem. Nothing. As soon as this do thing started, he was like tensed up and, and shaking and like turned around and looked at us. Like he knew something <laughs> was up with this scene. He was like, this, this does not smell right. So <laughs> he was, it's great. My kids are picking up on all the right stuff. Wow. It's fantastic. <laughs> You're a good dad. Yes. <laughs> Succeeding at the geekery. It's awesome. <laughs> uh, but it was really fortunate that Mando was the one doing it, too, because he had all the Beskar armor. Because he gets mm-hmm. shot uh, multiple times, I think, in that little encounter. And that's, and that's a great line, too, that he says to him. He says, you know, says, you know, from that distance, the Beskar, you know, held, held up. up. He's like, I'm not wearing Beskar. And he's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> but I am wondering how durable Beskar is. He he sort of implied with that statement that if it was a closer range that the Beskar may not have held up. Mm, and yeah. and I guess in my mind I've sort of equated Beskar with pretty much kind of a, uh the most durable thing ever. And but when well, he's can a lot more affected by lightsabers, that. right? Oh yeah, yeah. It, can, it can deflect lightsabers. It can't mm. stop them, but it can deflect them. Yeah. So And he definitely seemed a lot more affected by that closer range shot (laughs) yeah yeah um so they they realize very quickly that that they are in a place of of peril if they continue to try to to hunt her down and then we have another clear reference to to obi-wan uh uh, toro and and mando are talking and oh i'm forgetting the exact line that he uses but she's got the high ground 
is what mm-hmm. is what Mando says to, to Toro. And that's where they decide to wait until night in order to approach her as she's out kind of on the ridge out beyond uh, the Dune Sea. And with the idea that Mando has these these uh, flash charges that he can use to blind her scope so they can approach her without uh, without getting shot. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of SQPN, with a special message. The StarQuest Network is fulfilling its mission to explore the intersection of faith and pop culture. And in the past year, we've reached stunning new heights. Our programs are reaching broad new audiences with a message that helps us discern good entertainment, make sense of the world, and share the gospel with others. We continue to launch new shows and bring back great shows. We just relaunched Secrets of Star Wars, which comes at the perfect moment to capture the excitement over the new show, The Mandalorian, and the climax of the new Star Wars movies. The support of our audience is vital to this work and has helped us grow closer to meeting our financial obligations. For that, we are very grateful. But we still need to close the gap. Every new gift extends our deadline. But until we eliminate our deficits, the future of StarQuest and your favorite shows remain in question. This is why it's crucial we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we are very grateful and we ask you to prayerfully consider in increasing your support at this time. If you are not yet a supporter, please become one now. We urgently need your help in every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 per month? That lets us provide more than 40 hours of professionally produced shows with compelling content. We have special thank you gifts for donors at several giving levels. If you are a business owner or just want to provide a leadership level of support, we now have a special giving level for sponsors, like in public broadcasting. For $500 per month, you or your business can sponsor one of the shows on our network. Listeners will hear a message in every episode thanking you for your sponsorship and giving your website. We'll also have your name and link on the SQPN webpage and in the show notes of every episode during your sponsorship. Whatever level of support you can offer, whether large or small, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas, and remember that your gifts are tax-deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you and yours as we approach the celebration of our Lord's birth. So they wait until nightfall, until they go and check them out. And then we have this this interesting scene between Toro and Mando. And Mando <laughs> is, is kind of leaned up against his, his uh, speeder bike. And Toro thinks he's sleeping, which was <laughs> comical to, to see. He's like pointing his gun at him and calls him an old man and calls him out for sleeping. And I think what that does is is a couple things. First of all, Mando is is not sleeping at all. Mando is is very much aware of what's going on, and it shows just Toro's immaturity and his mm-hmm. uh, again kind of his cockiness and arrogance uh, in his approach to Mando. Even uh, Mando's sort of treating Toro as a partner, as a as a comrade, and uh, Toro just ah he's kind of cocky and immature about the whole thing. It was great comedy. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's again, back, back to the classic Western, you have the old, uh, the old guy who's seen, seen it all. He's been around. He leans back against his horse, pulls his hat down over his eyes. <laughs> looks like he's asleep. And then the young cocky guy comes over and starts messing around. And the old guy just tips his hat up and says, you done yet? <laughs> you know, just like, it's like a perfect moment. They, they really, they played it up so well. It was great. Uh, Mando and Toro, 
take uh take their speeder bikes and they head head to the ridge and are they use their their flash charges to to blind Fennec as she's trying to to shoot them off. She manages to shoot the speeder bike that Mando's on and and shoot him in the chest too, I think, and kind of knock him mm-hmm. to the ground. Uh Toro gets all the way over to where she is though and uh actually fights her and uh we actually uh she she has the upper hand of that fight and mando uh makes his arrival in time to save the day and secure the victory in that little in that little scene um fennec seems to recognize that uh the mandalorian is the one from navarro which was an interesting reference that that is that has to be the name of the planet where the bounty hunter mm-hmm. guild is located and that's the first time that we've had a name for the planet I sort of assumed, at least in in kind of the the Legends universe, uh, and I don't know if it was ever in canon or not, but Narshada is is often depicted as kind of the the hive of of the bounty hunters uh, over in Hut space, and that was my assumption of the planet from from the beginning. But we now have a name, which is Navarro. Her first reference to it, I'm kind of like Spain. Yeah, it was like, am I supposed to know what this is? I know that's that was my thought exactly. Like, I don't, I don't even know where it is. I'm a huge Star Wars nerd, and I have no idea what we're talking about. A lot closer to home. I thought it was, I thought it was far, far away. Uh, (laughs) That's that's not too far. Just across the pond. Uh, So Mando and Toro decide that they need to bring Fennec back with them, but there's only one speeder bike since Fennec had destroyed one, and they will need additional transportation to get back to Mos Eisley. And they initially, Mando suggests that Toro goes and retrieves the dewback that they had found earlier. And Toro doesn't want uh, to leave Mando alone with Fennec. And Mando decides that he will go and retrieve the dewback. And then we have one of the most fascinating scenes, I think, of the of the episode between Fennec and Toro. And it's just it's. Uh, Fennec trying to tempt Toro to betray Mando and bring him back, uh, since she recognizes him as as the Mandalorian from Navarro that uh, betrayed the guild and took took the child, and and she tries to convince him that if if he brings him back, that that will get him into the bounty hunter guild, and he's worth more than than she is. And I don't. Uh, did you guys watch the video by by Father Roderick at all? I didn't get a chance to because he made some really interesting points here. And I thought it was really fascinating to try to delve into it because he, he equated this scene with uh, the scene in the garden of Eden with Genesis and between Eve and the serpent and Hmm. likened uh, uh, Fennec to the serpent trying to, trying to tempt uh, Toro. Uh, and so there there's all these there's a there's a lot of parallels there that uh you know Satan convinces Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to, to doubt God, um who mm-hmm. in the, the language of the episode is the one calling the shots. God is, you know, the creator mm-hmm. and he's the father. And Satan tries to convince Adam and Eve to betray him with the forbidden fruit, which would m- allow them to determine for themselves what is right and wrong. So essentially uh to to call their own shots, the the temptation of pride. And in a in a similar way, Fennec, you know, tries to convince Toro that the only way to get into the guild is to bring in Mando and betray him, even though Mando has shown, you know, no reason that he would betray Toro and that, you know, Mando has been working with him firmly as a partner 
and treats him treats him as such. And so Fennec is trying to to tempt Toro with that with that sin of pride. And so the language even that they use was was really fascinating because Fennec tells Toro that your name will be legendary. And that word legendary was used three different times. And so it's that appeal to he didn't uh, Toro didn't want the money, but he wanted the reputation. He wanted the he, mm-hmm. he, he was wanting to to live out of that pride. And so, you know, he decides to give in and uh, fall into the trap of, of pride. But rather than let Fennec work with him, he decides to just shoot her and take all the credit himself. And as he shoots her and leaves her there to die, he says to her, quote, who wouldn't want to be a legend, unquote. Mm-hmm. And that's when he, he, and, uh, he and Fennec disappear. To me, when I saw this scene, I I said, wow, Father Roderick's going to have a field day with this scene because I saw te- the temptation of Christ in the desert mm-hmm. where because of the focus on uh, y- your name will be legendary and like the power situation, because mm-hmm. I saw Toro as a character who kept asserting his control over the situation, like saying, well, I'm in control. Like, oh, you just goes to show what you know. I'm the one who hired him. And, you know, he's like, these are my my speeders and this is my bounty. And so um, I just kept seeing him that way. And, you know, he he even, um, you know, he didn't trust the Mandalorian. uh, And so he he wanted everything to be under his control. And so I think, yeah, like she kind of tempts him with it seemed like at first she just was trying to get anything <laughs> out of him, like just let me go somehow, like, oh, maybe um he can sell his armor or um then she she's sort of like, yeah, like um sneakily trying to figure out what does he want? What what is he in this for? And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, it seemed like she gave she I I could have diagrammed it and analyzed it more, but it seemed to me like she gave him maybe three possibilities over the the discussion. So that's what sort of and then obviously they're in a desert. So I just thought like the temptation of Christ in the desert. Well, it's interesting, too, because in this whole the legendary thing and the pride, I mean, it's <clears throat> I just went through this with my ninth graders not too long ago. So we've been hitting this theme a lot of the Old Testament with, um, you know, Genesis five. Uh, Cain's line, you know, the focus on making a name for themselves, setting that up against, you know, the line from from uh, from Seth, you know, calling upon the name of the Lord. And that that sort of that that difference there between those two pursuits, you know, um, and then later on, of course, you see it with uh, the Tower of Babel, you know, let us after the flood, you know, let us make a tower, let us you know, uh, make a name for ourselves. So you see, keep, so you keep seeing that motif come up over and over again in scripture about making a name for yourself versus, uh, you know, being called out of self into something greater, which we've seen Mando in a couple ways, you know, from the, mm-hmm. the village and sanctuary, the last episode. And, uh, you know, and the, the whole thing with his, like he's following the guild, but it's just interesting. I, I want to kind of see, I'm, I'm interested in seeing his, his sort of development in terms of what's his ultimate authority, right? You know, like, Mm-hmm. At first, it seems like it's the guild, but then it's like, no, it's just this Mandalorian thing. You know, this is the way. But there seems to be more than that, too, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. there was a time when he wasn't a Mandalorian, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Right. <laughs> so right. it is so cool. That we're seeing that there's something 
richer and deeper in him that seems to transcend all those uh, those immediate sort of authorities we've seen so far. But it's not just himself, though. And that sets him up against people like this, which is pretty cool. Right. Yeah. People who are out to make a name for themselves and just and they have no authority and they have I mean, the guy's not even part of the guild. He's he's just he's like a wealthy punk that wants to, you know, set himself up so that he can be the best at this thing. And it, it, and it almost you know, he's trying to buy it like the, the, the whole the whole uh, the, the whole episode. You see him just trying to buy uh the affection of the Mandalorian and then the, the ability to win in, in any given fight. And um, it's, it's really interesting to watch this character just kind of unravel over the course of all of these things that happen because he's up against uh, someone who, who outclasses him incredibly as a soldier and probably even outclasses the, the Mandalorian because, I mean, you know, he, he's not ready to take her on necessarily until he realizes, ah, this is probably my best bet to get money on this planet. And, um, and then, you 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 see that that he just starts unraveling against her too once the once he's got her and he's ready to go back and and finish this whole thing out and he doesn't want to let the mandalorian uh stick with her while he goes and does anything and and he just completely unravels over the course of this like small little time period that we have him and it's really neat to watch like it really does i felt like they did a really good job I think that's the biggest complaint people have about this episode is that they, they aren't comfortable watching him like just so mm. quickly come to the end of his rope. That's the point and, of the character sort of. Right. You know? right, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just, he, this is his, this is his last moment. You just get to see his last moment from when we first meet him, he's already destined for the end of this episode. And you just see that whole process unfold, which I really liked. I thought it was really nice uh, treatment of the whole situation. Yeah, I think what you guys are bringing out is that Toro is a good foil for the Mandalorian and that he really kind of reflects the sort of the opposite uh, characteristics. And um, whereas Toro is using everybody, he's using Fennec to get into the guild. He's using Mando to get Fennec. He seems to, you know, he uses... Um, Kelly and the child to get the Mandalorian, whereas the Mandalorian respects Toro, he respects Fennec, he respects, you know, seemingly everybody except maybe droids. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like it's really bringing out those um, admirable qualities in the Mandalorian. And I would say that that even, uh, uh, oh gosh, blanket Toro. Uh, I he's he's also just a mirror even for us as as the audience that are watching because if he if he is going to more or less be you you could throw him into kind of a an embodiment of broken humanity that that he is he is wanting what what every human person wants he wants love and acceptance at at like his core that is that is what he's desiring and he thinks that he can find it in being part of the bounty hunter guild and and making this name for himself and and of course us watching, we know that that's that's not going to end well for him. But but that's where his mind is going, and he's kind of given into those those sorts of lies that in order to be loved and accepted, he has to have this reputation. And the mm-hmm. other the other fascinating aspect about about that is when he is talking with Fennec, just like any of us, when we start dialoguing with temptation, we give the temptation more and more power the more we continue to dialogue with it. So, you know, for any of us who have, um, you know, are really striving to live holy and virtuous lives, 
if you don't reject those those thoughts or the temptations that hit you right away, we all know how much more difficult it is the more we sit with those temptations and let them kind of get a hold of us. And and so, yeah, we see him sort of just he lets her talk, first of all, and buys into what she's saying. And you can you can sense that he's sort of doubting her initially and he's kind of uh, hesitating, but it's it's already a bit too late for that. He's already on that path. And then, yeah, we just kind of see that uh, spiral out of control and ultimately in his downfall. And so, yeah, kind of a, a mirror for us that in a, in a very loose sort of way that we don't want to be like Toro. You know, that's that's not right. the way for us to find the, the joy and fulfillment that we're seeking. Yeah. Well, for for me, it was a relief to see the true Toro because initially I thought, oh, no, are they going to try to make this guy into a Han Solo character? But of of course, we know (laughs) that Han Solo is the guy who acts gruff on the outside, but inside he has a heart of gold. And so we sort of see um, a different, you know, Toro in the end. Um, And yeah, it was a relief for me. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of an unfortunate tragedy, though. But yeah, um, because ultimately his downfall happens in the next scene as as Mando confronts him at at his ship. Uh, and in fact, uh, Toro is almost taunting Mando. He's he's holding baby Yoda and he has Peli uh, as, a, as a hostage. And, and he says, looks like I'm calling the shots now, huh, partner? And so, again, just kind of reversal. He was kind of... Uh, the one Manda was the one kind of calling the shots and he has claimed that for his own and taken possession of it in in the wrong way. And in that temptation of pride, he betrays Mando. And of course, Mando isn't uh, isn't stupid in this moment. Uh, he he puts his puts his blaster down and raises his hands behind his head. But he's concealing a flash charge uh, and shows that to, to Pelly, who is sent to to cuff him. And this was the third reference to legendary that Toros Toro says. He he says, quote, to Mando, he says, quote, bringing you in won't just make me a member of the guild, it'll make me legendary. So again, that whole idea that that he's trying so hard to 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 make a name for himself in this way. Hey, fun fact real quick. Did you guys notice, you know, the concept art that they uh, they roll at the end during the credits in every episode? Mm-hmm. Did you notice in the concept art sort of snapshot or still of when they're on the uh, the ramp coming out of the ship there, and it's you know, Toro and he's got Peli there, and little baby Yoda's like crying and his eyes are all wet and he has like oh. tears in his cheek, and I was like, they know they can't do that. Like I don't know, <laughs> like, some, like somebody, somebody before they actually filmed it, they're like, no, 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 we can't, we can't do that. Can't go that far. Can't go that far. <laughs> it's too far. <laughs> I just I caught that the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, no. The the concept arts at the end are are really fun to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, even on like uh, the the Star Wars uh, Mandalorian Twitter page, will release all of those stills, and oh, so yeah. it's been fun to just kind of watch those and to to go back through them. And I'm gonna get like a coffee table book or something. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure they're gonna <laughs> yeah. put them all together, which yeah. would just be awesome to have that. Yeah. Well, and another completely random note. Uh, if you if you, have you guys noticed that uh, they are releasing the the soundtracks for each episode kind of as standalone mm-hmm. albums, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Spotify's which is, doing that too. Like like yeah, it's pretty cool. I, they, they've been fantastic about no spoilers for this. Like <laughs> they've been so good about not spoiling this. And I, I I was talking to somebody the other day and saying you know this is this is 
we are really going back to the age of having water cooler conversations about this show uh, where we couldn't with shows that you had to binge because yeah. you know, there, there, you, there was just no way you could expect all your friends to commit 13 hours to <laughs> sit down and watch a show uh, and, and talk about it. So then you would wait for like two, three weeks to talk about the show. And then by the time you, you were ready to talk about it, yeah, you know, you forgot half of it and the the real motivation to like be excited about it wasn't there anymore. So I'm loving or or, or the parts that were fun that. and cool, like an in individual episode that were like, you know, anticipation. Yeah. Like that was now already gone because it was resolved right. already. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Really yeah. Don't have to talk about anything that's coming up because well, it's yeah. the next season that we're talking about, not right. even the thing we're going to watch <laughs> next week. And, and I found myself like telling somebody the other day, oh, I got to get home so I can watch this thing with my kids, <laughs> you know, and it's I haven't done that in forever. Gosh, because mm. there's just not anything on TV to watch like that. anymore. Well, I think it's like a happy medium, too, between between like it being at a set time each week, which maybe you could miss. Mm-hmm. but not the binge thing. So it's like you're using the modern technology of, of like the on-demand availability, right. but it's on a set day. And it's exactly. so funny because like I, I've, like I said, I, I teach ninth graders and it's so funny because a lot of them are watching it and I'm seeing them get fired up about like the idea of like, oh man, you know, I got to wait to watch this episode next week. And I'm just laughing because I'm like, that's what TV was. Kid. <laughs> yeah. like, that's all it was forever to like Pepper's 10 farm, years remember? ago. <laughs> so it's, that, it's funny that like it's new again, you know, uh, so that actually has. And I think from a storytelling standpoint, that really opens up, you know, possibilities again that aren't there when you have it the other way. You know, yeah. so it is it really seems to lend itself well to it. Well, it allows us to just digest each episode a little bit more. Uh, slowly and and that we can have these kind of conversations it's uh and not just yeah have to binge watch the whole thing and then just try to remember eight eight episodes at once um you know it, it reminds me of just like when you go to the movie theater and watch a movie and then you know you've gone with your friends and so immediately after the movie you want to rehash everything and talk about it mm-hmm. and that kind of an experience is really only capable in the in those moments you can't you know even if you wait till the next day you've kind of already forgot about things so yeah exactly uh, so so yeah this is this is great and it's a i think it's a great way to use the streaming service uh and yet keep that that anticipation that weekly anticipation which is frustrating and awesome all at the same time um so to just kind of wrap up the episode uh mando uses that flash charge and he shoots toro and Baby Yoda had hidden himself and they find him and Mando pays Peli for her services and uh, Mando and Baby Yoda head off of Tatooine. And then we have that last scene of the episode of uh, the unknown person bounty hunter approaching the body of Fennec and there are the sound of spurs that are being heard and Mm -hmm. speculation is going kind of wild on who that might be my my thought is that i you know i was talking to you guys you know before the show i i i kind of feel like it might be this uh moff and i keep forgetting to look his name up but uh giancarlo esposito's character um that we see in the trailers but um but you know who knows but uh, one thing I've, i was wondering like when he specifically said who fennec used to work for you know that she basically was killing for all these crime syndicates and the huts and and you know etc and that the reason you know she's being sort of put out of business like her employers are put out of business clearly by the new republic so we can rule out obviously anybody that's like new republic basically so i'm thinking like 
this, you know, these, these sort of, uh, desperate Imperials or like the you know, potential seedlings of the first order. Cause I mean, this is all over like the rise of the first order. We're probably going to start seeing some of that, you know, hinted at here. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's, that's my guess. Something with one of these types of people. So. So that actually makes sense with um, there was a cape, right? Or something mm-hmm. like a cape. Yeah. And yeah, that would make sense for maybe a higher ranking Imperial because they do wear those. Um, but it does seem like in Star Wars, a lot of people wear capes or cloaks or, you know, whatever. Um, I was thinking at first I really wanted it to be Cad Bane from the Clone mm-hmm. Wars, who is yep. an amazing cowboy character. But yes, he is. Um, somebody pointed out that there's no rockets on the boots and oh, Cad, yeah. Cad Bane has ah, rocket boots. So, um, <laughs> it's not him, which makes me sad, but I was thinking it's either, um, the rendezvous that, uh, Fennec was going to make, yeah. um, in Mos Espa, uh, or possibly, um, somebody who's been tracking Mando because obviously people are still tracking the child. Um, so maybe somebody's tracking Mando to try to find the child. Um, so those are kind of my guesses. I really, really don't think that it's Boba Fett. Yeah, I don't want it to be Boba Fett. I actually don't want it to be a bounty hunter at all. I would love for this to be, and and it makes sense with the character, because if you think about Fennec, Fennec's not a bounty hunter. So there's no way she would know about all of the stuff that went down unless she had a reason to. And the biggest reason there is coming back to that Baby Yoda thing. And the other people that are looking for the Baby Yoda are the Empire. So this is, she's now an Imperial agent of some stripe. And this is a character that is coming in, that's stepping in to, uh, to find her now dead. And now has to put the pieces together of how that happened. Uh, and in that is going to, you know, kind of track it back to the Mandalorian. So I think, I think the Moff fits. Well, and that's that's a point I think Andrew was making last week as far as just in one of these episodes we're getting into now, like really wanting to see us get back to some of that stuff, like with the client and with Dr. Pershing, like there's just too many unanswered questions. So I feel like we're working our way back to that. I think I'll be the odd man out. I do actually hope it's Boba, Boba Fett. <laughs> of course you do. Your father Fett. <laughs> I just want to know that he's alive and well and. Uh, well, I'd, yeah, I'd love to see him again in in the flesh, so to speak. Would you be satisfied if he's just like in the cantina and he just kind of tips his little helmet? You know, and like, okay, I, there he is. I would be very happy he's, with a cameo, but he's not good. a pivotal role in the story. Mm. Like, just just let me know that he's okay. <laughs> Slave one flying off in the sunset. <laughs> yeah. Um. So just a couple other completely random references that I spotted uh, throughout the episode. Um, there is a reference to to the Dune Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to kind of put this in perspective, uh, the Sarlacc Pit and Jabba's Palace are all located more or less near the Dune Sea. So uh, this was all taking place within that that kind of framework. Um, at one point, uh, once Mando and Toro have captured Fennec, Mando says to Toro, quote, she's no good to us dead, unquote, mm-hmm. which, uh-huh. again, a clear reference to to Boba Fett, as he says that to Darth Vader regarding his treatment of Han Solo in episode five. And the other random reference that I spotted was at the very end of the episode, once Toro is shot, Peli is telling the pit droids to move the body. 
and she says, uh, you know, the droids ask more or less, where should we take it? And Peli says, I don't know, drag it to Beggar's Canyon. Yep. <laughs> so, again, another reference there to, to episode four uh, between Biggs and Luke as they're talking about uh, Beggar's Canyon back home. Well, and with, and we've had two references, one one in this and then one in the sanctuary to Womp Rats. So. Yeah. Right. Yep. 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 Womp Rats have come up <laughs> yep. a couple of times. <laughs> Did you guys catch any that I missed? Oh, uh, there was a gonk droid. Oh. Besides her, oh. her three pit droids, there was a gonk droid in the background. Well, I love the I love the cantina scene when he walks in with the um with the droids being behind the bar instead of uh, yeah. instead of human. That was mm-hmm. that to me just that was icing on it because it it really it really set. This is a different Moss Eisley mm-hmm. than the yeah. one that was. Even though this is a familiar territory, this is a completely different space now, and um, it just very clearly uh, made that connection and difference. In that moment, you sort of got the feeling that everybody who was at the cantina was sort of like just a regular person or whatever you want to go, whatever word you want to use being, because um, in episode four, when we walked in, people kind of turned their heads and sort of look around like side eyed. And there was a lot of, yeah, scum and villainy in there. Um, but I don't know here. It just sort of seemed not the same. Like it was just whoever was in there and there's there's always that bar or that restaurant that's just not what it, <laughs> what it used to be <laughs> yeah. and that uh, yeah yeah that's, that happens there too what do you guys think of uh the title so it's the, the title of the episode is the gunslinger and and so far with some of these titles i've found them to be probably intentionally vague and so I, I'm wondering who the gunslinger is supposed to be in this episode. And I don't know if you guys had any inspiring thoughts on that. Well, when they first debuted this show or teased the show, they described it as the adventures of a lone gunslinger. So the, in that case, it was describing the Mandalorian. Um, I I don't know if here, did he have a blaster? I didn't really notice if Mando the Mandalorian had did. a blaster. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there was but he a, didn't use yeah. it. He didn't. He, he he used it once, and that was at the very end. Like, well, he, like sh- the, he shot at the droids off the ramp, but that yeah. <laughs> oh, the warning true. shot. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah that's but true. but yeah, no, it, yeah, it wasn't really prominent. <laughs> so maybe it's Fennec. See, and yeah. I thought maybe it was meant to to symbolize Toro, but but she, yeah, you wouldn't call her a gunslinger though, because yeah, uh, or, or yeah, no, it would, be, it would be Toro. You wouldn't you wouldn't call Fennec a a, 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 right. a gunslinger because she's got the rifle, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. It doesn't. Yeah, that's because when I, it I doesn't heard that seem too, to fit. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, like I feel it, like he I mean, doesn't quite live up to that. Like well, he's swinging yeah. around though. Maybe it's maybe it's a reference to like what he wants to kind of be. You know, because like when he's spinning it, when Mando's sleeping or he thinks he's sleeping, mm-hmm, he's kind right. of being all cowboy. But then he's not confident with it. You know, and he's like, "Oh no, I'm good." And like puts it away. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's definitely introduced that way. You know, with his. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. Han Solo thing where he's got his feet up on the table and the booth and, right. you know, yeah. he's got that swagger to him. So, yeah. I don't know. If you guys out there listening have any thoughts, let us know. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts on the episode before we wrap up? I would like to know how these visual uh, cue uh, things work because we keep getting this like infrared look, but it's not infrared. It's just stuff <laughs> moving around on the screen. It's like it's like it's like the the AI inside of the binoculars is is geared toward pay attention to this thing. <laughs> this is an important thing to pay attention to. So 
uh, it's totally Deus Ex uh, visual cortex. Here. Yeah, that goes back to the it's science fantasy, not science fiction kind of exactly. kind of realm. Yeah. Very much so. <laughs> Which well, and, then, and then and the other one that bothers me about that too is like, what are they shooting? Uh, like what? What is she shooting? That's a laser that's knocking him off his bike and and knocking him over. Like, it, it, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Star Wars. I love Star Wars. <laughs> it's a good thing we don't watch this for the spot on physics. Are we if, going if, nuts? If, if, if if anybody is into spot on physics and they want science fiction that's in, that's spot on physics, The Expanse is one hundred percent very very much what space would be like and i love it it's a fantastic show and it does all it does has all the same feel of like space combats and everything but it gets the physics right too okay. cool well that's it from us uh what did you guys all think of episode five of the mandalorian be sure to email us or comment on our facebook or twitter page and let us know and you can email us any feedback at star wars at sqpn.com and you can find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia and on Twitter at SQPN. We'd like to take a moment now and thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Wars, uh, including Kenny D, Aaron B, Mariah S, John H, and Edward G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all the shows that we do here at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or you can also follow us on the SQPN YouTube channel. And to find previous episodes of The Secrets of Star Wars, please visit sqpn.com slash Wars. And we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the sixth episode of The Mandalorian, and so until then, Angela Cialana, thanks for joining us and sharing the secrets of Star Wars. My pleasure. Mike Creevy, thank you as well for joining us tonight. Oh, Father, I'm loving every minute of it. <laughs> Me too. And Thomas, thanks for joining us. It was good to be here. Once again, I'm Father Andrew Kinstetter. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Wars on Star Quest. Star Quest.